I hope you guys enjoyed that worship time this morning. For me, I just, I just thought that was just really, really good. So thank you, my dear, and thank you to the worship team. I just continue to believe. I just, I'm just grateful for this worship team. They're just doing a phenomenal job. So thank you guys. Hey, do me a favor. Open up to Malachi, the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. If you're not quite sure, if you find the book of Matthew and turn left, you will run into Malachi. And so Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament right before the New Testament. But we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3 today. And as I have repeated, I said it in, we've been in a series entitled Let Us Be in 23. And I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off. How many of you know ripping the Band-Aid off is the best way to do this thing? So uh, today I'm going to be talking about Let Us Be Giving. And that's always no amens. I would have thought, amen. You know, um, the reality is... Um, you know, whenever you got to, whenever you, as a pastor, you, you, you got to talk on giving, you want to talk about money or whatever, talking about money, talk about giving in a church is like sunlight to a vampire, man. Don't let's, let's not go there, man. Let's not do that. Well, here's the thing. I'm not talking about money and giving today because I'm trying to coerce you into giving more money. I'm not. Okay. I mean, I'm going to be honest. You guys are a giving church. All right. And, and we are blessed. But what I, I really like what Paul says in the book of Philippians when he is talking to the Philippian church. He's writing to the Philippian church. And they were like one of the only churches supporting him financially. And Paul was like, you know what? He's like, I am, I am just so blessed by your partnership with me. He's like, I am so blessed that you've been like one of the only churches that have supported me in my need. And I am so thankful. But here's what he says. He goes, I'm not saying this because I need a gift. He goes, I'm saying this so you will know what's been credited to your account. See, he's not talking about on a horizontal level. He's talking about a vertical level. And, and, and that's why I'm, I'm talking about this. You know what? Last week, I didn't need to talk about you know, the importance of, of serving. And, because, man, we got so many people in this church that serve. The, idea, the reason why I'm doing this series is because I want you to get focused. Focus which way? Vertical. All right. Let us be in 23. It's all about let us be vertical. Let us be on point for God. Let us be, man, let's, let's be changed for Jesus. Well, part of that is also about giving. Okay. Um, it's so weird that people get, I mean, usually when you talk about money in church, there's, there's going to be somebody that's going to get wigged out. Okay. People get freaked out about having to talk and hear about money in church, which is weird and ironic because um, take a guess how many times the Bible addresses finances, money, giving. How many do you think? A lot. That's just, yeah, a lot. In fact, about 800 times. All right. God doesn't just like use a one or two verses and 800 times he talks about finances and giving and money and things. Why? Because money has control. It is such a, a divisive thing. It is such, it controls people, all right? And so the Bible says a lot about it. So if the Bible says a lot about it, should we not tune our ears into it, all right? And so today I want to talk about let us be giving. And, and I want to talk about why our giving is important, and so just FYI, um, the majority of this message is point number one. I'm talking 85% of this message is point number one because I want to unpack this, this, this first point 
because there's, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about it for the church today. And so I want to talk about why our giving is important. And here's the first reason why our giving is important. Number one, there on your outline, it is an act that honors the Lord. Our giving is an act that honors the Lord. Now, before I jump into our, our text and, and this message, let's get a little, little context. I, 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 I do this so you guys understand. Let's get some context on the book of Malachi. Malachi was a prophet of God, all right? And in the Old Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament were like the apostles of the New Testament, all right? The apostles of the New Testament wrote the New Testament for the church, for Christians. And the main emphasis of the New Testament is to help us as Christians live godly lives, to do what God wants us to do and talk like what God wants us to do, to behave in a Christian way. Well, the Old Testament prophets were the same way. You and I have a Bible. We have this Bible that's all put together and we can read it and that's how God communicates to us. Well, in the Old Testament, before Jesus, God communicated to his people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, through the voice of prophets. All right. So when you read the Old Testament, you're going to see people like Malachi, Hosea. You're going to see Jeremiah and Isaiah, Ezekiel. These were all prophets that spoke to the nation of Israel. And the only reason why, number one reason why these prophets spoke to the nation of Israel is because Israel wandered. All right. They got to a point they were like, you know what? We're pretty sexy in our own shirts. We don't need to do it God's way anymore. And they would wander away. How many of you know we are the same way? We are all prone to wander. And so the Israelites prone to wander would be, let's do it our way. Let's not do it God's way. So God would send a prophet to go speak to the people, speak to the kings and say, here's what you're doing. Stop doing it. Get right with God again. Malachi is this. He's this person. Israel had once again drifted away, doing their own thing. And God shows up through Malachi and is talking to them. And Malachi is a very short book. It's only four chapters, not a long book. But he's addressing different things that Israel was doing. And one of the things that Israel was doing was they had wandered away in their giving. And God's going to address that through Malachi to them. And so that's where we are. And that's the context of what's going on here in Malachi chapter 3. And so let me begin there in chapter 3, starting with verse 6. God is speaking through Malachi. Malachi is speaking to the people. And here's what God says. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. I would underline those words. Those are important. He says, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. What God's saying there, he's like, you guys keep drifting. You keep walking away from me. And he goes, and here's what's interesting. In the very first sentence, verse 1 of chapter 1 of Malachi, here's what God says. I, the Lord, says, I love you. That's what God doesn't change on. He's like, I, he's like, you've drifted from me so many times, I could destroy you, but I don't because I don't change. My love doesn't change. My favor for you doesn't change. My mercy for you doesn't change. My grace for you doesn't change. I will not destroy you, even though I could. And that's what he's saying here. He goes, you're not destroyed because I'm not changing. But in verse 7, he says, ever since the time of your forefathers, meaning back in Moses' day, 
He goes, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So now God's just kind of, he's just peeling back the, the layers here. And he goes, let's get to the real issue. You've wandered from me. He goes, I haven't moved. You've moved from me. And the thing is, when people, when the people of God move away, the blessing of God has to come off. Okay? You got to understand that. God's just not blessing all the time and going, well, I don't care how you live. The blessing of God kind of comes off. And so he says, if you will return to me, I will return to you. Meaning the blessings will come back. Well, the idea of returning is repenting. He's like, turn from your sin. Turn from your wandering. Turn from drifting from me. Get back to me. And this is what God is imploring his people to do, to return to him. But they respond to this by look what they, they say right at the end of verse 7 there. He says, but you ask... How are we to return? And so he's like saying to the people, I want you to return to me. But the people are like, well, tell us how we got to return. You see, the idea wasn't, they weren't really like, oh, you want us to repent? Okay, we'll do that. That's not where they were going. They were actually saying, well, what do we need to turn from? What are we doing wrong? You see, in their eyes, these Israelites believed they were doing nothing wrong. In their eyes, they were okay. In their eyes, they were right. Does that sound like us today still? In our own eyes, what are we doing wrong, God? And so they're asking, what do we need to return from? What do we need to repent about? And so God answers. And he goes, here's how you need to return. Here's what you're doing wrong. Look at verse 8. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. And there it is. God's like, here's how you are robbing from me. Tithes and offerings. Now, I want to focus on those two words for a few moments here. Let's get an explanation of what tithes and offerings are and what they're about. Let's first start talking with the offering because the tithe is going to be the major portion of this thing. What is an offering? An offering was a free will gift. All right, an offering was a, a, a voluntary free will gift above the tithe, beyond the tithe, that the people would give. And that, could, that free will gift could come in the form of money, it could come in the form of, of crops or grain, wine, livestock, you know, an animal or something, and they would give it. All right, they would give it to support the priests, they would give it as a sacrifice. They would give it. They would set it aside for a special, um, special resource. Like something's going to go on, and I'm going to set it aside. It was a free will, voluntary gift that they gave. All right. So God's like, you've stopped doing that. But He also approaches this thing called a tithe. So what is a tithe? Well, here's three things about the tithe. Mathematically, a tithe means a tenth. That truly is what the word tithe means. Really nothing specially religious about the word tithe. It simply means tenth, a tenth part, 10%, okay? And so a tithe was for the Israelites, whatever they had, money, grain, animals, whatever it was, they were to give a tenth. So if you had 
100 animals, how many were they to give? 10, okay? If they had 1,000 bushels, 100. That was their tithe, their tenth. So mathematically, simply a tenth. Scripturally, though, it was the law. The Mosaic law commanded the Jewish people to give 10%. But here's the problem. They just didn't have to give one 10%. There were multiple different times they gave 10%. Actually, from the poorest Jewish person to the wealthiest, it didn't matter. If you were a Jewish person, you were a Jew, you were God's people, you were required by law to tithe. And in fact, there were different tithes. They gave up to 30% because it was a law. And there were different times, different tithes that they had to give throughout the year. So mathematically, 10%. Scripturally, it was the law. But spiritually, this is the heart of the matter. Spiritually, though, a tithe was an act of worship. It was an act to honor the Lord. Look at this verse from Deuteronomy. Don't have it? I didn't give it? Well, shame on me. And in fact, it's not even from Deuteronomy. It's from Leviticus. I'm all messed up. Holy cow. Do you have a Leviticus? I knew it. I knew I sent something. I just send whatever Bible verse I want to send. Way to go, Cody. Keep me online, man. He's like, you didn't send me no Deuteronomy. Because I know I didn't have a Deuteronomy. But I have a Leviticus. Chapter 27. So here's what God says to the nation of Israel. He says, every tithe. How many? Every one of them. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's, and it is holy to the Lord. And every tithe of the herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. You see, it was an act of worship. The people were to take, if, if, they grew, if they grew crops, if they had grain, they would take how many bushels, and that tithe was the first 10%, and they would take that 10%, and it was holy to the Lord. They would take their animals, and if they had 100 goats, they would take 10 of them and make them holy to the Lord. Whatever it was, whatever they had, that first 10% was to be holy to the Lord. It was to be given. And in fact, spiritually, the tithe, because it was the first 10%, was actually considered, considered what is called a first fruit. It, it was the first. It was the best. It was not, well, God, when I use it on myself and I have anything left over, that can become yours. The tithe was meant to teach the people. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy. I knew I had a Deuteronomy in there. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23, it actually says that the tithe was given to help the people to remember the Lord. That was the purpose of the tithe. 
because the people kept forgetting the Lord. And so he established this thing to help people remember number one person that your money goes to, your crops go to, your herds go to is the Lord. Keep it holy. That's why in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it, it says to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And the way you honor the Lord with your wealth is with the first fruits, okay? The very first, the very first part, the 10%, that tithe, you take it out, you separate it from everything else, and it is holy, it is honored, it is worship to the Lord. It helps you, it, it, it was to remind the people, this is not mine. This is God's, and I'm going to worship him with it. In fact, even though scripturally the, the tithe was, was implemented into the law, the idea of the 10% being a first fruit, an act of worship, predates the law. Because if you go to the book of Genesis chapter 14, you will see Abraham, after he has a, a, a battle with some kings to rescue his nephew Lot, and after he defeated the kings, he takes all of the spoils. And when this priest shows up by the name of Melchizedek, and it says that this priest was the priest of the, of the, of the one true God, Abraham took a tenth. It doesn't say a tithe. He took a tenth and he gave it to the priest. Abraham wasn't commanded by law to give a tenth. Why did he do it? As an act of worship. He did it because he's like, hey, here's what God did for me. He gave me all of this stuff. He gave me my, 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 my nephew back. He helped me defeat these kings. The least I can do is give God a tenth. And he gave the priest a tenth. You also see this idea of first fruits with Cain and Abel. In, in Genesis chapter 4, you'll read that it says that, that Abel tended to flocks and Cain was worked the ground, meaning he, he, he like grew fruit and, and crops and things like that. And it says that in, in, in Genesis 4, it says, in the course of time, Cain brought some fruit to the Lord. In the course of time, he brought some. But it says that Abel brought fat portions from the firstborn of his herd. Okay, now think about that. How does Abel get the fat portions from, let's say, a lamb? He's got to kill it. He's got to sacrifice that animal. And it was the firstborn. That's why when you read that, it says that God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. Because Cain, in time, well, I think it's time to give something to God now. Here's some fruit. Well, what has he been doing with all this other stuff? He's been keeping it himself. But Abel took his very first animal, cut the throat, sacrificed it, cut it up, took it to the Lord. And he gave the first fruits to the Lord. And God accepted it. You see, the first fruit is an act of worship. The tithe, the 10%, is more than a law. It's more than a command. It is an act of worship. It is something we give unto the Lord. Now, here's the thing. This verse, these verses that we're reading here in Malachi 3, 
was specifically written to the Jews, to, to the Israelites. But what we need to pull out of this are the spiritual truths, okay? And the spiritual truth that we got to pull out of here is this, that the tithe, tithes and offerings are still an act of worship. It's still an act that honors the Lord, okay? Because this is where we need, this is where now, let's fast forward to our day. Because the question we got to ask is, do we as New Testament believers, as Christians, are we still bound to give 10%? Because that's what we say. Well, we're not, as, as Christians, we are no longer bound by Old Testament law. Jesus, he, 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 he met all the requirements of the law, and the law is fulfilled in us, meaning we're not bound. We don't have to keep the Old Testament law. And so we are no longer bound by the Old Testament. We are under grace. We are saved by grace. We live by grace. It is all about the grace of God. So does that mean that you and I don't tithe? Well, here's the thing. We are under grace. Absolutely. We are saved by grace. We live by grace. We are not bound by the Old Testament law. Nowhere are we told that we are to, in the New Testament, here's the truth, okay? I'm not going to hide anything from you. You will find nowhere past the book of Acts that you are commanded to tithe. Nowhere. You are not, as New Testament believers, we are not told in the New Testament how much to give. You'll never see that. What you do see in the New Testament is this. You are to be a faithful giver, a generous giver, a cheerful giver. We're told that our our giving should be in proportion to how much we make. Well, that's not telling me how much. So the question is, is how much should we give? Do we tithe or do we not tithe as a New Testament believer? If I'm not bound by the Old Testament, if I'm not bound by that Old Testament law to tithe, does it still apply to you and me today? How much do we give? I hope to answer that today in this point. Should you and I tithe still today as a New Testament? And I want to say, I want to give you two reasons why you should. Not because you're bound by law, but because of another reason. And here's two reasons why you and I should continue to tithe, even as a New Testament believer, and not because we are bound by law. One reason, and these are not in your notes, but if you want to write this down, here's one reason why you and I still should tithe. It's still an act that honors the Lord. All right. It was an act that honored the Lord in the New Testament or in the Old Testament. It is still an act that honors the Lord in the New Testament. I, the Lord, what? Lift up your voice. I, the Lord, do not. Yesterday, today, I want us to, to peel this thing away, okay? Let's think about this. Let's really understand and, 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 and think biblically on this, okay? Yes, the Old Testament put the the tithe in the law, and we are not under the tithe by, by law. But let me ask you, if the real emphasis of the tithe, the intention of the tithe in the Old Testament, was to help teach people to put God first, if it was to help people come to the place where they were like, this is God's, and I'm going to take that 10%, and it was an act of worship, 
It was an act of honoring God in the Old Testament, and God does not change. So if he wanted worship back then, let me ask you, does it change because of Jesus Christ? No. God wants... God deserves no less worship today than he did then. And he doesn't change. So if God does not change, the worship that was due him in the Old Testament, shouldn't that be due him in the New Testament? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It doesn't say, hey, whatever you do, except for your money, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, it should be because of the glory of God. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter writes, he says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In your heart, honor Christ. All right? So we, we like to dissect our lives, don't we? I'll honor God with my time. I'll honor God with my, 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 my talents. But, oh, man, let's not be talking about that treasure stuff. That's mine. And I don't want to really. No. In everything, we honor the Lord. And we should honor the Lord with our money. It should do something in us. Because if you remember a couple weeks ago when I talked about being all in, it was from Romans chapter 12. And Paul says, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, for this is your spiritual act of worship. The Jewish people, from the, from the lowest to the highest, from the, the, the poorest to the wealthiest, they were commanded to give. If they didn't give, they broke the law. And out of commanding, they, they, they tithed. You and I, because of Christ, because what you and I have in Christ. You see, that's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, in view of God's mercy, Holy cow, when you understand what you have in Christ, we are sinners. We should be, all of us should be sentenced to hell. We have no right. We have no privilege. We, there is nothing that causes you and I to be able to stand before God and go, hey, I deserve to go to heaven. And God's like, you show me what you deserve to go to heaven. Nothing. Our deserving place is hell. But because God so loved the world, he gave Jesus, his, Jesus Christ his best for us. His first fruit for us. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's why Paul says, in view of his mercy, offer yourself everything about you. And that is not just sections of your life. That's everything, including your money. And if in the Old Testament, giving a tithe, giving 10% was an act of worship, it was an act of honoring the Lord. 
is it any different today? Even though I'm not commanded, even though the Bible, even though the New Testament doesn't even tell me, should I give any less? You know, the reality is because of grace and because the New Testament doesn't tell us to tithe, what you hear is people say this, we give out of grace. It's, it's grace giving. I'm not bound by Old Testament law anymore. So because we are covered by grace, because of the grace of God and what we have in Christ, we give because of grace. So shouldn't that cause us as Christians to be like 10%? No way. I'm giving even more. I wish that was the case. Let me read some statistics to you. These are from, um, from the Barnard Research Group, Christianity Today, and a thing called Nonprofit Source. 37%, okay, one out of three Christians. 37%, almost 40% of Christians who consider themselves born-again evangelicals don't give at all. 37%, almost 40% of Christians give nothing. Only 5% of church members give regularly. Only 2.7% of born-again Christians tithe. Only 1% of households who are born-again Christian evangelicals who make $75,000 or more tithe. 1%. The average giving of Christians, born-again evangelical Christians, who because of grace, I grace give, here's the average giving, 1% to 2.5%. That's the average. That's grace giving. That's Christians going, I love God so much because of Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm going to give, a tip. The poorest Jewish person before Jesus Christ ever came into this world gave 10%. Because it was an act of worship. And in our text, God is telling these Jews, here's where you've drifted from me. You're robbing me. Let me ask you, let's, let's be real about this. Were they actually robbing God of money? No, because the Bible tells us God owns it all. What were they robbing God of? Honor and worship. He's like, you're robbing what is due me. The honor and the worship, the holiness. You see, we give, even as, as New, New Testament believers, I still continue to believe that we if God does not change and 10% honored him back then, shouldn't 10% still honor and worship him today? We don't give 10% because of coercion. I'm not coercing, trying to coerce you into give 10%. I'm just trying to show you biblically why you give 10%. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to force you. I'm not commanding you. It should be an act of worship and an act of honor that every time I have money come into my presence, into my being. And I, I get paid. I get, I get 
somebody blesses me with money, I get an inheritance, whatever it may be. The first 10%, this is yours, God. And I'm giving it to you as an act of worship. You see, that's why I believe we still tithe, because it's an act of worship. But here's the second reason why I believe we continue to tithe. Not only is it is an act that honors the Lord, but it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 6. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus makes it very clear, gang. He's like, he's like the reality is you're going to serve one or two things. You'll either serve God or you'll serve money. You will either love God or you will love money. And he goes, and here's how you can determine what you love. Where your, where's your money going? What's your checkbook look like? That's how you determine what you really love. That's how you determine what you truly serve, all right? Where our money goes. Because wherever my money is going, my heart's going there, all right? So if my heart is truly about, God, I love you. Thank you, Jesus, for, for doing that. Let me ask you, is 1% really saying, I'm fired up? Not giving it all? Nope, I'm fired up about Jesus. No, that's saying my heart is somewhere else. My heart, it, it's, it's away from God. I believe the tithe, just as it did in the Old Testament, I believe the tithe protects us. It protects your heart. Because the reality is, and, and, and if, you're, if you are faithful in your tithe, I hope you, can, I hope you resonate with this. And this is the way it works for me. Before I write any bill, I mean, I try to do this intentionally. Before I write any bill, I write my tithe check. Before I pay the power bill, before I pay the mortgage, before I, I buy groceries, before anything, I write my tithe check. Why? Well, it's because I'm commanded. Nope. And it's because out of obligation. Nope. I do it because it protects my heart. Because if I don't write that tithe check, it's so easy to spend all everything else and go, ah, oh, man, things are tight. I'm not going to, I'll give God next week. It's an act of worship, but it protects your heart. And so when you write that tithe check, it keeps your heart on track. It keeps you saying, this is God's. Can I tell you, in 22 years of pastoring, I've talked to a lot of people and here's the real issue with a lot of people. Here's what a lot of people think. Christians, that money's mine. And that's one of the biggest lies and illusions that so many Christians buy into from the enemy. The money that you have, your house, your possessions, your stuff, it's not yours. Ecclesiastes tells us plain and simply, naked you came into this world. Naked. Yes, my love, I said it. Naked. <laughs> Meaning, you weren't holding a checkbook in your hand when you came out of your mother's womb. You came out naked with nothing. And then Ecclesiastes says, not only did you come into this world naked with nothing, guess how you're leaving? With nothing. Yesterday I was watching this, uh, 
on PBS. I love PBS. Watching this guy by the name of Rick Steves, and he tours Europe, and he was talking about all these old churches. And um, a lot of these, um, like in the, the Vikings, back in the 1200s, when they came into Europe, they would be, like, like the Egyptians, buried with their stuff because they believed in pagan gods. They believed that you took all your stuff with you in the afterlife. And just like with the Egyptians and the pharaohs, you, they were digging up these graves and finding these, these Vikings with what? All their treasure in their coffin. Because they came in with nothing and they left with nothing. The, the illusion that you and I own it is, is, is such an illusion and it's a lie. God owns everything. He just wants you and I to go, hey, is your heart right? Will you, will you just give to me because out of, not out of duty, not out of obligation, not, a, not because you're commanded to, but because you love me and, and you, you just worship me. These people were robbing God of the honor and worship due him. And I have to wonder and I have to ask if God does not change, does he look at Christians who say, I'm not going to give. I'm just going to give a little tip to God. Do you think God's just going, ah, it's grace. I don't care. Or do you think he's still kind of going, you're robbing from me. You're robbing my worship. You're robbing the honor due me through your giving. And when you and I make that decision to say, I am not going to give or I'm just going to give a little bit, what that's saying is, God, it's mine. And I'm going to keep and do with it what I want. You see, why our giving is important is because it honors the Lord. It's an act of worship. And that's the end of point number one. Trust me, point number two and three are about five minutes long. So you're looking at the clock going, oh my gosh, we're here till one. <laughs> Trust me, point number two and three are going to go quickly. But point number one, the reason why we give is because it's still an act of worship and honor to the Lord. Here's point number two of why your giving is important. It provides the needs of the church. It provides the needs of the church. So, Paul, so, so God has accused these Jews of robbing him of tithes and offerings. Look at verse 9. He says, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. The curse is simply, is, is the reality is, as I said, the hand of God has to, got to come off. The blessings aren't going to be there in full force. He's like, the curse is your, your needs aren't going to be met. The curse is that your crops aren't going to grow like they should. The curse is your animals aren't going to produce like they should. He goes, until you get back right with me, the blessing won't be there completely. And so he's like, that's what's going on here. But look at verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. <laughs> the storehouse was the temple. All right. The people would go to the temple with their grain, their money, their wine, their, their flocks, whatever it was, and they were to take that tithe to the storehouse. But notice he says, bring the whole tithe, meaning don't be skimming the 10%. Don't be using any of that for yourself. Don't be taking any of that. that all of that should come to me. It's an act of worship. It's honoring me. Giving 5% is not a tithe. 2% is not a tithe. 10%. And God's like, bring that whole thing into my, to my storehouse, to my temple. 
Well, for you and I, we don't have a temple, but we have a church. We have a building. And here's the reality, guys. Just like the, the, the storehouse bringing the food, the, the grain to the storehouse, do you think God was like, man, I'm eating well tonight? It wasn't for God. The grain, the animals, the money, all of that was to provide for the priests. All right? It was to take care of the temple. It was to take care of the needs of what was going on there. Because a priest was a full-time priest. He didn't work as a, a goat herder down the street. So his support came from the people bringing their tithes. Guess what your tithe does? Provides for this. It takes care of the church. It takes care of my salary. It takes care of the, the light bills. It takes care of whenever we got to buy something. It takes care of any kind of um, when we fix anything on the building. That's what your giving does. It supplies the needs for the church. And again, guys, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to coerce you. Loved ones, you are a giving church. And I thank you for your faithfulness. Two years ago, man, we raised over $50,000 in six months. How does that happen? Because you guys are givers. Through God's, God is faithful and, and you guys are faithful. This message is just a continuing reminder that we do this to honor the Lord and we give because it helps the church. It keeps the needs of the church met. And then here's the last thing of why your giving is important. It gives me a ground to stand on when I pray. It gives me ground to stand on when I pray. So again, verse 10, he says, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you have no, not enough room for it. In verse 11, he says, I will prevent the pest from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields that will not cast their fruit. Now, when God says, hey, um, test me in this, that word test, the, the idea is it means to prove one's character, actually to put on trial. God's like, put me on trial. Hire your lawyer, put me on the stand, and test me. And what he's saying is when he says, test me in this to see if I don't open the floodgates and pour out, that is not the prosperity gospel, all right? That is not God making you wealthy and rich and, and so much money you don't know what to do with, okay? That is not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I will make sure that your needs will go. It, here's, again, hopefully maybe you can resonate with this. Do you ever sometimes look at your money and on paper, you're like, this shouldn't work out, but you honor the Lord, but yet every month it seems to work out. You're like, man, you, you just, it just seems like things stretch. It doesn't mean that you don't have times where it's lean. It doesn't mean there are times where you're like, I don't know where this is going, but God just seems to show up. I, Paul and I have seen it in our lives for almost 30 years. Some of you guys have seen it probably even longer. This church has seen it for decades, okay? And I'm telling you, loved one, listen to me. If you're not tithing, here's what tithing truly does. It gives you a foot to stand on. Because when God says, test me in this, he's silly, literally saying, come to me and bring back my word to me. Tell me what I've already said. Okay, listen to these verses from Isaiah. 
Isaiah chapter 41, verse 21 says, God says, present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments. Isaiah 43, verse 26, he says, review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State your case for innocence. Basically, what God wants us to do is be able to go to him and say, God, here's what your word says. You have said this. You have said you will do this. You have, you have made promises. God does not change. If he made promises in the Old Testament, guess what he will do in the New Testament? Fulfill the promises. He doesn't change. He cannot lie. He does not. The Bible, Paul even writes, it says that all of God's promises are yes and amen. You can bank on the promises of God. All right. So when you're praying, if you have a financial need and you have been honoring the Lord, God tells us this in Samuel. If you honor me, I will honor you. All right. The giving of God here in our text, God says, I will pour out the blessing if you bring the tithe into the storehouse. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, give and it'll be given on to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over into your bosom, men will give. Paul says, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. The idea is, is as long as you and I are priming the pump, Financially, God says the water will flow. So when you have a need financially, and as long as you are priming that pump financially, you're honoring the Lord with your wealth. You're giving, you're saying, and you are doing your part. Here's the ground that you have to stand on when you have that financial need. God, I've honored you. And it's not like you're being rude. It's not like you're being disrespectful. But you're like, God, your word says, if I bring the tithe, you'll do this. God, you say, if I honor you, you'll do this. God, you say, if I give, you'll do this. God, your words, and get scripture and plead your case. Put him on trial. And guess what? God will come out innocent every single time because he is faithful. Again, that doesn't mean you're going to be wealthy it doesn't mean that you're going to be eating high on the hog. It doesn't mean you'll never have any needs. But what it means is, man, for somehow God supernaturally does move and does stretch. And I am telling you, and a lot of you could stand up here and give a testimony and testify also. Paula and I have seen this in our life firsthand. God has been so good and faithful to us in our finances. And there were times where I'm looking at the checkbook and I'm going, how is this going to work? And all I can keep coming back to is, God, you have said, and I trust him, and I put my faith in him, and I trust his faithfulness, and I trust that he cannot go back on his word, that he does not lie, he does not, nope. If God says, put me on trial, test me in this, and see if I will not do this. Man, I'm going to do it. And I challenge you today, loved one, to do it. Today, if you're not giving, and I pray, I pray that all of us are not in those statistics. I pray that everyone in this room, that you are faithful with your giving. That when you get your paycheck, then that, whether it's weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, however often, the first thing you're doing is, here's God's check. Here's God's money. 
Anytime you get that money, anytime you get a source of money, the very first thing you do is I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm going to give his portion because that's due him. I'm not going to keep that because if I'm going to keep that, I'm going to lose my foot to stand on and I'm not going to do that. So God, here it is. And you could just like, here's my tithe, God. Not because I'm commanded, not because I'm to by law, but it's out of an act of worship. And because of what he's done for me, God, here's what I'm going to do for you. And I'm going to give it. Amen? Let's all stand and let's close. Well, Father, we thank you. We praise you. And Lord, we stand before you because we know we have so much because of Christ. And we've been given so much. You gave your very best, your first fruit in Jesus Christ for us. You so loved us. We were sinners. We were lost. We were the ones God separated from you. But you gave Jesus so we could be made alive. And Lord, I pray in view of that, what we have because of Christ, that we would continue to be a church that is giving. And Lord, right now, this is not about coercion. It's not about trying to trick people, Lord. Lord, this is between them and you. Lord, I would pray that we would all come to that place and say, I don't want to rob God. I don't want to rob you of your worship and the honor due you. And that, Lord, all of us would take our money and realize it's not ours to begin with and realize that the portion that, that we can give belongs to you and it's an act of worship. And that we would give it, but, Lord, realize that all of our stuff, all of the money, is all yours, and that we would use it for your glory and for your kingdom. Lord, continue to bless these families. Continue to bless their finances. Continue to bless this church financially, Lord. And we trust in you and what you're doing, Lord God. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.